Good morning. Good morning. I am delighted to welcome you into this celebration of worship. We gather in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, three in one, and we prepare ourselves to worship this Holy One who calls all things into being. Friends, let the words of Lamentations now call us into worship. Open our hearts to a true encounter with the Lord. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Jesus Christ is the good news. Listen, our sentinels lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy, for in plain sight they see the return of the Lord to Zion. See, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. Just as there were many who were astonished at him, so marred was his appearance beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of mortals. He shall startle the nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they shall see, and that which they had not heard, they shall contemplate. Jesus Christ is Lord of all.
with our tongues we sing God's praise and tell of God's mercy and love. With our tongues we also come before the living God to confess our sin before him in the assurance of his forgiveness. Join me now as we pray the prayer of confession together. God of the mountaintop, you have revealed yourself to us and yet we continue to be blind to your grace and glory. We chase other lesser gods and we are ashamed. We chase wealth, popularity, kudos from our peers, awards and rewards. We fill up our empty souls with as much junk as they will hold and still we are unsatisfied. Forgive us for forgetting you. Forgive us for ignoring the truth that we can only be satisfied in you. Remind us, loving Savior, of the comfort of your peace and the power of your cross. Let us go up to the mountain and worship you, Lord. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. May the God of life keep you in the power of the Holy Spirit for now and for eternal life. For I declare to you in the name of Christ Jesus, we are forgiven. Amen. peace of Christ be with you. As we prepare to share that peace with those seated around us, let me remind those fifth grade and younger that you will now be dismissed to your Sunday school class, and those sixth grade and up, you are dismissed to your youth group. Please feel free to leave after you've had a chance to hug a couple of folks, because right now, the rest of us are going to hug each other. God bless. Isn't it wonderful to belong to a vibrant church that is continuously engaging with the community and the world? Here's just a few pieces of village news that will help you stay connected and participate in the life of your church. We just want to let you know that we're still continuing to collect financial donations 
that will go directly to our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, as well as in Syria. And there are several ways to give. You can write a check and put it in the basket at the time of offering, or the, send it into the office. You can go online. You can throw it in the parking lot, and we'll pick it up afterwards. <laughs> Whatever, however you want to get that money to us, I, I, I just want you to know we're going to get that money. So, um, but we want to continue to lift them up in our prayers as well. Next Wednesday, if you can believe it, is Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of Lent. It's the beginning when we, uh, of the time when we journey with Jesus from his baptism all the way through to the time where he makes his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, the week of holy events and leading up to Easter. It's a time of reflection and it's a time of renewal and repentance. And we want to start that time together. So next Wednesday evening on Ash Wednesday, we'll gather at 7 o'clock for a beautiful service of music and spoken word and prayers. And I hope that you'll all be a part of that. If you're not able to be here, and you're, but you're going to be watching on live stream, we just want to let you know that we do have individual vials of ashes that you can pick up in the narthex following the service. Also, Lenten devotionals have been put together and they'll be made available by email. If we don't have your email information, then please go online and sign up or let the church office know and we'll be sure that we get one out to you. And finally, on Sunday, February 26th at 5.30, we have our annual congregational meeting via Zoom. And it'll be held uh, at 5.30, like I said. And during this 30-minute virtual gathering, we will discuss the financial report, we'll vote on terms of call for your head pastor, and we'll hear a state of the church address from that same guy, the head pastor. But listen, you have to RSVP in order to get the Zoom link. So go online and RSVP or call the church office and so that you can receive that Zoom link. And right now, I'd like to invite uh, that same guy your head of staff, Pastor Jack, Jack Baca, to come forward. I was starting to think you didn't know my name. <laughs> Holly Crawford, where are you? Come and join me here. Earlier this morning, Holly and I were watching many of you come in and commenting how wonderful it is to have so many new people in the life of our church, but also lamenting those who have gone on to be in glory or on to other places in this world and thinking about the coming and going of the saints of the people of God. And, and we are now here for just a moment uh, to mark the fact that Holly has been with us almost 11 years and uh, is soon moving on to other fields of service to which the Lord has called her. Holly came here initially to be our director of children's ministry and uh, brought all kinds of new ideas and programs and energy into that ministry. And then after a few years, transitioned into ministry, uh, leading our adult ministries, particularly uh, putting together all the magnificent events that go on here. And so she has blessed us in so many different ways. Holly, you have a great heart for the Lord, a great heart for ministry. 
a heart for people that has reached out to them. And I know that you've done an incredible amount of pastoral work with people in the life of the church as well as the staff just because you care a whole lot about people. And uh, we're not entirely happy with the Lord that he's called you to to (laughs) something else. And uh, we'll be speaking with him more about that. Uh, But... (laughs) Because you happen to be married to the guy who runs the sound booth back there and part of the life of this church, we expect to see you here all the time. And I'm going to make all of them promise if they do see you here, not to ask you to do the kind of work you were doing, but I'm not going to promise that myself. So there we are. There we are. We celebrate with you, Holly, and we celebrate your ministry among us. Let's have just a moment for prayer, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for the blessing of life and love that Holly Crawford has brought into our life as a church. We thank you for all the ways that she has helped us to to feel Jesus' love and to be encouraged and strengthened in our own walk. We thank you that now you are calling her into a new season of ministry and life and ask that you would bless her as she goes, but also keep her strong and safe in the bonds of fellowship and love that we enjoy here at the Village Church. Father, we thank you for these blessings, knowing that you have given given them to us because of your love that we have known in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Holly, God bless you. To us, and God delivers all the time. So now we come to a time where we receive your tithes and gifts and offerings. And as you come forward and place them in the basket, listen to the gift of music that we have for you today.
Be seated. <laughs> the Lord has given us ears with which to hear, tongues with which to speak, minds and hearts to be open to Him. And so let us join together now in speaking and listening to the living God as we bow together in prayer. Almighty God, by whose power all things are created and sustained, by whose wisdom all things are imbued with their essential character and purpose, and by whose love all things can be healed and renewed, we, your people, speak to you in these few moments, acknowledging that you alone are God, and that only by your will do we live and move and have our being. Thank you for listening, and thank you for speaking to us. Lest we forget the good things that are part of our lives, allow us to mention our gratitude for the beauty of sunrise and sunset, for the encouragement of friends old and new, for the satisfaction of jobs to do and jobs well done, for the delight of new discoveries, for the comfort of arms that hug us, for the inspiration of music that lifts us, and for the faith and hope that fill us with the unshakable conviction that no matter what may have been or what may yet still happen, you love us. May we never be unaware or ungrateful for the good that is all around us, and may this awareness always sustain us. Lest we forget that you have designed us to be present with you and with others throughout our lives, let us speak now of those who fill our thoughts in these days. We think of the old ones whose days are toward their end, and whose lives and love have filled our own with encouragement, with knowledge, with companionship, 
and with examples of how to live faithfully with you. We think of the young ones whose days are just beginning and whose lives now fill our own with fresh energy, with opportunities for us to be those who give encouragement and knowledge and companionship and examples of faithful living. No matter what stage of life we now live, may we all be nourished by others of all ages, others from all walks of life, including those who to us may seem strange or foreign, but to you are simply part of the variety of your creation. Lest we forget that you have strengthened us through the gifts of others, please listen for just a few moments more as we lift into your presence those who need you so much right now. For victims of earthquake, of warfare, of poverty, of domestic violence, of racial prejudice, of diseased minds, of failing bodies, of emotional abuse, of the greed or unfaithfulness or hatred of others, we offer our prayer and we offer our time and talent and treasure where it can serve you by helping them Give us the maturity of soul to be mindful of others and then give us the conviction of heart to reach out by whatever tangible means we can to be your ministers of help and hope. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of eternal salvation and for the gift of transformed life. And thank you for Jesus, your Son, who gave us this prayer that we say now together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
A reading from the book of Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there. I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up onto the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, wait here for us until we come back to you. Look, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to, Mo he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the Israelites. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And now a reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became bright as light. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will set up three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He replied, Elijah is indeed coming and will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him. But they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When my daughter Sarah was about 13 years old and my son Matt was about 11, 
I was just finishing up a credential in spiritual direction from uh, San Francisco Theological Seminary. And this was a three-year course that over those three years we did a lot of work in our own region, but we would, were required to go up to San Francisco for three weeks every January. And our training days involved morning, noon, and night, contemplative worship, long periods of silence and prayer, and deep discussions about sinking into the mystery and listening another person into recognition of the holy. We were immersed in the ancient practices of discernment and mindful worship. It was a very cloistered experience. The first day I was home and back at work, still wrapped in that misty, holy mountaintop, I got a very tearful and hysterical phone call from my 13-year-old Sarah. Mom, you have to come home right now. Matthew flushed the toilet and the water is running down the stairs and the ceiling is leaking and I don't know what to do and everything is a mess and it's super gross. And I was stunned and I said, where is your brother? And Sarah just wailed on the phone. He's in the garage playing his drums. I still laugh about that. <laughs> Water's running down the stairs. Folks, we all have to come down from that mountain sometime. That's the gist of it. We've got to come down and deal with the muck and the ordinary. But, oh, we don't want to. We want to live on that peaceful plateau, overlooking the poor, struggling wretches. Above it all, but life has a way of tapping us on the shoulder or dumping a ton of bricks on our head or a stream of sewer water. At just the moment, we feel we've got it all figured out. You know, the big question about the transfiguration for me isn't so much about how did he do that or why did he do that, explaining all of that epiphany the big question for me is how do we practice transfiguration when we come down from the mountain? How do we practice transfiguration? What does that mountaintop experience mean when we come down low in the desert or we walk in the valley of the shadow of death? What does that transfiguration mean? How does it accompany us down? Preacher and teacher, pastor and theologian Barbara Brown Taylor actually advises against talking about the transfiguration of Jesus. She reminds us that neither Jesus nor the three disciples who were with him talked about it. Jesus told the disciples to tell no one until after his resurrection. We never hear about this in scripture again. Have you ever tried to keep a secret about something that happens completely out of the ordinary? It's not, very, it's not very easy, but the disciples pulled it off. They never spoke about it in scripture again, but somehow that message still came through because here it is before us today. What Taylor suggests is not to, don't attempt to give it some reasonable explanation of what happened on that mountain because here's the truth of it, strange things happen on mountains in scriptures. When the Bible says someone is going up the mountain, you can bet that there's an epiphany about to happen. 
We all need mountaintop experiences. These are sacred moments when God's presence comes near to assure us, to challenge us, or equip us, and sometimes to send us. Peter, James, and John were assured that in leaving everything to follow Jesus, they were on the right track. But there had been plenty along the way to discourage them and plenty along the way to confuse them. What about all the pushback from all the religious authorities, people they had followed for their whole life? What about all this talk of a cross? Jesus had just finished teaching about his death and then the three of them went up the mountain. Somehow such things as death and a cross seemed out of place for a conquering king wrapped up in the mysticism of a mountain. It was very confusing. You know, there's an old spiritual that describes what it feels like maybe in that confusion to be so near glory and to be so far away or to have been there and then to have made your way down. It goes like this. Sometimes I feel discouraged and I think my work's in vain. You know, I have those moments and I wonder if you do too, those moments when you just aren't sure that you're getting it. I have those moments where I feel like all I do is stumble and bumble around and try to make the best of it. And in those moments, I cry out, what was I thinking? And I also find myself complaining bitterly to God. You, God, have highly overestimated my abilities. Highly. Then I want to tell you, in some remarkable way, forgiveness is offered, a corner is turned, a roadblock removed, humility feels right and encouraging, and God's peaceable kingdom comes near, and in that moment, I need to take off my shoes because I am standing on God's holy mountain again. There is no logical explanation for the way God's power works. There's just not. Bruce Rigdon, who's a church historian, came across a manuscript written by a monk from the sixth century. This monk suggested that there is a miracle in the transfiguration story that we have often ignored. The disciples, you see, had their eyes opened and they saw a new reality. It was revealed to them that the way of Jesus was God's way in the world. The one whom they followed, this Jesus, had the power and the will to transform them, each of them, into agents of God's love and justice and to heal a broken world. The very thought of that, that somehow not only were they following the Messiah, but that they had work that they were being called to do themselves. What happens after they learn that? What happens after it becomes clear to them that they have a part in this story? Well, the scriptures go on and to say this, they were overcome by fear. 
steer raises his head once more. And Jesus has tried again and again to, to help us understand we have nothing to be afraid of. And even in this particular scripture, he says, he goes over and the, and, and the scriptures are so sweet. They, they say he touches them and he goes, hey, 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 hey. Wait a minute. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus understands that we are fearful creatures. So over and over again, he tells us not to be afraid, not to let our hearts be troubled. You know, some of our fear grows out of uh, the, I think, the fragile nature of life. We don't know what's coming ahead. We don't know what is tomorrow. Maybe it's a storm. Maybe it's an upheaval. Maybe it's a scary medical diagnosis. Maybe it's a broken toilet. We just don't know what's coming. And fear can dominate our lives. And when fear dominates your life, it can stop you in your track and it can envelop you. There is no promise of a painless life. We are promised, however, that God is with us and that God's love is steadfast and that nothing can separate us from God's abiding love. We're promised that. But in this particular moment, I don't think it's that fragile, fragile nature of life that scares the disciples. I think it's something else. I think there's a different kind of fear that overcame the disciples in that moment. You see, the disciples had their eyes open to the new reality that God is bringing about in Christ. There's a new reality. There's something new that's happening in the world. And they were afraid because encounters with the presence and purpose of God can be very frightening. What is God going to ask us to do? Things may not be running too smoothly when we're in control, but the very fact we have this mis misguided belief that we are in control sometimes is enough for us. It's enough. We like to believe that we're in control. But, but if God is really running things, wait a minute. Wait, hold on. I'm not. I don't. I can't. I'm afraid. You never know what to expect from God. We can never be sure what God may be up to and what God might call on us to do, what God might call on you to do. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and all of you, and you. What is God going to call on us to do? Is it going to be frightening? Is it going to be scary? Is it going to be demanding? Am I going to be able to do it? Jesus in the garden, sweat streaming out like drops of blood, poured out this prayer. If there is any other way, is there any other way? Let this cup pass. But not my will, Father, but yours. And then we have Martin Luther. He must have been afraid of his own disillusionment with the religious corruption of the ancient church. He must have known at some level that when you go up against the all-powerful church, there's going to be trouble and there might even be death. But one morning, with a transfigured Christ held as a light for his conscience. He walked up to those Wittenberg doors and nailed a list of 95 corruptions and corrections that needed to be made to stay true to Christ. 
On July 29, 1941, Auschwitz deputy commander Karl Fritsch ordered that 10 men be starved to death as retribution after three inmates were believed to have escaped. Upon hearing that he was sentenced to die, Franziszek Gajanisek, a sergeant in the Polish army and father of two, burst into tears. And when he burst into tears, there was a man there, a Franciscan priest named Maximilian Kolb, who stepped out of line and approached the commanding officer. And he said, I am a Catholic priest. I have no family. And this is according to inmates who stood and were present to this. And he said, I would like to take his place because he has a wife and children. Fritsch accepted Colby's offer. And the priest went to Auschwitz's notorious starvation bunker with the nine other inmates whom he tried to console. Fritsch accepted his offer. And two weeks later, Colby and three other prisoners who were still alive were finished off with gas and their bodies were burned. Colby's horrific death inspired his fellow inmates as well as future resistance. Mikhail Mitrodinsky, who was there when Colby made his stand, told an interviewer this before he died in 2006. He said, among the destruction and the terror and the evil, he restored hope. You never know what to expect. You never know what God is up to. We can never be sure what God might call on us to do. And the demands of those who follow Jesus Christ, I think it's pretty clear. It's pretty demanding. It's an awful lot. The Gospels tell us we're very clear about it. But when the divine eye is looking straight at you, when that divine eye is trained on you and the misty mountaintop seems very far away. Peter, James, and John reappear together only one more time in Gethsemane with their master wrestling with his fate. It seems to me that in scriptures, those who witness his heavenly glory must also witness his earthly agony. God gives us mountaintop experiences that are transformative. We are changed. Are we not changed as Christians? Do we not see things differently? Are we not privy to another purpose and another way that the world operates? They change the way we see the world and ourselves. Business as usual is no longer possible after you have seen the vision of God's future revealed to us in Jesus Christ. It's just, it's no longer possible. Such experiences give us the confidence in the presence and power of God's unswerving love and, and a love that endures forever. And they sustain us through the turbulence and the hardships and all the suffering. We have a new vision Reverend Joseph Harvard said, between the baptism of Jesus and his journey to the cross, Jesus and these three disciples had an epiphany 
and their lives were never the same. And I would go a step further and to say to all of us who have been to a mountaintop and seen Jesus, we're never the same. Never the same. The transfiguration signaled that a new day was on the way in Jesus and that God was moving us toward the beloved community. The message was very, very clear. God is about the business of bringing hope and healing to a broken world. But be careful. Be very careful. When your eyes are open to God's good future, you can't go back, and that eye might be trained on you. Are you ready? Are you willing? Maybe you can't go back, but you can go back down the mountain to be a healing presence to those who are hurting, to work and serve and care for those who are hungry and without shelter. You know the drill. It's all that we do for each other. For those who are lost and forgotten, you can offer hope. We may not be able to explain the transfiguration story, but we can talk about the power and the purpose of God in Jesus Christ to make all things new. Today, you've heard a story that you can take with you when you go. It tells you that no one goes up to the mountain by themselves. It tells you that sometimes things get really scary before they get really holy. And above all, it tells you that there is someone standing in the center of the cloud with you, shining so brightly that you may never be able to wrap your mind around him. But who is worth listening to all the same because he is God's beloved. And listen, you are his beloved. And whatever comes next, you're up for it. And by the way, this is no secret. You can tell everybody. Amen? Our faith together. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross.
Do not be afraid. Whether you're on the mountaintop, whether you're in the lowest valley, whether you're in that dry desert, you are not alone. God is with you, and it's no secret. May the love of God and the peace and mercy of Jesus Christ and the intimate fellowship of this wonderful Holy Spirit be with you now and always. And all of God's people said together, Amen. Amen. Send forth by God's blessing.